It's time now for Illinois Innovators, where we spotlight the trending topics in research, technology, and entrepreneurship surrounding the Granger Engineering community at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Hello, thank you for joining us at Illinois Innovators. Today, we have a special team that will be talking about AI and robotics, plus agriculture. Hello. Right, could you um, introduce yourself, please? Sure, I can go first. Um, I'm uh, Girish Chowdhury. I'm an associate professor at Ag and Bioengineering, and I also have affiliate appointments in computer science, electrical engineering, and aerospace engineering. I'm a full member of the Coordinate Science Lab. Hello, uh, I'm Chinmay Soman. I'm the co-founder and CEO at EarthSense, which is a University of Illinois spin-off company building on some very cool research uh, that we did over the past four years now uh, at the university, and you know it's still ongoing. Uh, before uh, EarthSense, I used to be a National Science Foundation postdoctoral fellow at the University of Illinois, uh, looking at agricultural sustainability uh, through a lens of, sort of bioinformatics. I'm Stephanie Chavez. I am a recent graduate from U of I, and my college has had the pleasure to collaborate multiple times with the College of Engineering since we're such a multidisciplinary um, university. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk about AI and ag and robotics. Um, we have an excellent faculty and student community here in this field, and it's an exciting time right now uh, that we're living in. So AI has enhanced ag agriculture for a while now. Grish, can you provide some background on the science and how it is impacting the industry? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's at least uh, two ways in which it can impact the industry or has been impacting the industry. One uh, is in the uh, area of converting agricultural data into actionable information. So for example, there has been a lot of work on satellite data that has been converted into maps that farmers can use as prescriptions. And the second, the more emerging way is uh, in addressing aspects of um, helping the farmer getting more out of the equipment that they have and in some cases, helping the farmer getting more done than they can do with the available labor pool that they have. So the first is, uh, for example, the, uh, uh, the, the tractor auto track systems that John Deere has uh, implemented, for example, are GPS-based systems that allow uh, us to have these perfect row crop agriculture. And then the, the example of the second thing are the types of robots that my group and others are developing to create new tools for farmers who are facing labor crisis. Your team was recently granted $125,000 from the Discovery Partners Institute for the Center for Research on Autonomous Farming Technologies. Can you describe the center and explain more about the work being done there? Absolutely. So we've created the Illinois Autonomous Farm as a collaboration between the Agriculture and Biological Engineering Department and the Center for Digital Agriculture, which is a cross college center between the Granger College of Engineering and the ACES. And the idea with the autonomous farm is for it to be a test bed of all of these AI technologies that we are developing at the university. And of course, also with our collaborators that may wish to join. 
So the farm overall has three main projects, uh, types of projects that we're running. One is improving sustainability in commodity crops, which is corn and soybean. So examples there include the breeding robots uh, and other types of robots that we're working with, um, uh, with Ersens, for example, who's here and other um, members of the community. The second is uh, plant manipulation. So these are projects that, for example, Professor Girish Krishnan from IC is leading in where they're creating robots that can harvest berries and nuts using combination of hard and soft arms. And the third is soil sensing and resilience. So we're creating the next generation of soil sensor networks working with Suprati Guha from University of Chicago um, that can basically measure the status of the soil and give more information. Um, and the idea is to provide a test bed for researchers as they develop this technology to bring that technology and test it in real world conditions uh, and not just in the labs, right? That's the idea. And DPI was very generous to support this activity. And, and we are really grateful for their support uh, because it will enable us to actually work better with uh, Illinois farmers and industry and, and retain some of our talent here in Illinois so that we can build the next generation AI and robotics companies here in Illinois. That leads me really to my next question because it's been such a big year for AI at um, the Granger College of Engineering. The USDA recently announced a new center here as well, the AI Institute for Future Agricultural Resilience Management and Sustainability. What is it about Granger Engineering that is driving this work? And um, do the centers collaborate with each other and throughout campus? Absolutely. So AI Farms uh, was a true collaborative uh, kind of project. And it was led by uh, Vikram Adve, a uh, computer science uh, faculty, um, along with, uh, so I was one of the co-PIs, Lisa Ainsworth, who is a USD ARS person, was a co-PI, Suprati Guha and, and Todd Mockler. These are uh, external uh, co-PIs. And then there were 40 other really great faculty distributed in Granger College of Engineering and in um, ACES, and, and of course, in University of Michigan and University of Chicago, and uh, Tuskegee University and Donald Danforth Plant Science Center. And it was a true coming together of people who work more in computer science, engineering type disciplines, and people who work more in agricultural disciplines. And we found an intersection where people who were working on AI were interested in making an impact on AI. And then those were complemented by people who were working on ag problems and saw the need for AI. And so as we combine these things together, uh, we were able to really write a compelling story uh, to NSF and USDA. And therefore we are one of the seven AI institutes out of which two are for agriculture. And we are one of that agriculture institute. It was a competition was pretty tough. So we're really excited for the future of AI and ag overall um, in, 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 uh, at Illinois. And I think, a lot of that, a lot of the credit really goes to the last two years of efforts for both the Granger College of Engineering and ACES in coming together, uh, forming, for example, crop science and computer science degree, you know, uh, for, for ag and bioengineering, playing a more pivotal role in connecting these two departments. So I think, you know, I think we've always been collaborative. Like one of the things I always tell my students is that you can come to Illinois and take any course pretty much. And, and there's very little oversight on, you know, we are not forcing you to be in these departmental boundaries. 
And I think now it's even bigger. I think new programs will come out of this that will not be just within departments of Granger College of Engineering, but also between the Granger College of Engineering and ACES. And this will create the next generation of workforce that will really transform ag. So what are those transformations? What are those advances that are on the cusp? What's the translation? How will people's lives be changing due to this AI research happening? Absolutely, absolutely. So I think the main agriculture is one of the oldest technologies, right? Um, I I don't know if the wheel came first or agriculture, uh, a good question to ask an anthropologist. But of course, one of the oldest technologies, something we figured out a long, long, long time ago and kind of take it for granted. Agriculture is why we can have this great world and we can enjoy um, all these uh, amazing facilities. And I'll let Chinmay later talk about some of his more visionary statements about that he's been uh, telling me about. But it's it's also at a point where the population has really increased uh, to a large number and it's it's going to increase more. And you know, people throw out these numbers, 9 billion, 10 billion. I think the more important point is not just feeding the population, but it's also about how do we take care of our planet? How, how do we remain sustainable? The complexity of agriculture is that there's so many interrelated things. And what we try to do often as engineers is we try to you know, simplify things and apply solutions. But unfortunately, when you just try to apply a simple solution to agriculture, we often incur costs that we couldn't predict. So the hope with the AI institutes and overall the promise of AI is that we can create augmentation tools for our, the next generation of ag engineers, computer engineers, and crop scientists that will allow them to process, generate and process lots of data and then take action. So this will lead to a new breed of um, students or, or graduates who are able to understand agriculture and the biology of it and also understand technology and how that technology can be used to improve agriculture and lives of the people on this earth. So that's the big vision here. Uh, it's it's really, in my opinion, will lead to the third uh, green revolution, right? Or the second green revolution, depending on how you come. Yeah. And I have to admit, um, from a personal standpoint, growing up in a farming family here in central Illinois, I had to sort of laugh, did the wheel or the, the plant come first and <laughs> ag? You know, when I was able to check out your um, robotic system um, just this week, I brought my grandfather, who's 94, and, um, you know, he's been farming the land his whole life where where we went out, and it is quite wild to think of what all he has seen um, as a farmer Mm -hmm. in um, in this industry, farming with a tractor with no cover, his farm and others with horse and plow going. And then now we are looking at AI and really doing our best to take better care of the land and um, do it with less labor output. As you said, you do have a team designing, developing and testing these autonomous robots that will reduce dependency on herbicides. And that's so important. Like you said, we, we have a lot of people in this world to feed and um, the projections are, are even larger. How long have you been working on this particular project um, with EarthSense, with your robots um, doing, doing this kind of work? And um, where is it going? Yeah, that's a that's a very very good question. The l- labor is is I would say the 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 standard challenge in agriculture, right? I I think if you had asked farmers 600 years ago what was their biggest problem, they would have said it's hard to find the labor. Uh, I think a part of that is because nobody wants to work in farms. 
it's hot and it's back breaking work. Uh, but because of that, I, I think, you know, tools have been do- developed for, for farmers to make them more productive. More recently, we've found chemicals. With chemicals, I think they've worked great for a while, but we're, we're seeing some issues. And that was one of the first things that I found here uh, when I came to Ag and Bioengineering. And we're such a unique department because we can talk to the Ranger College of Engineering people and we can wear our ACES hat whenever we want to talk to crop scientists. So Adam Davis uh, told me about this, this problem of uh, herbicide-resistant beets. Uh, and and Chinmay and I, we, we know each other uh, from before. Um, and we've always, we were always excited about agriculture. And Chinmay, uh, maybe you can, you can talk uh, about your whole polyculture story. But when Adam told us about you know, herbicide-resistant beets and how they're really becoming a, a growing problem, we thought that we'd, uh, we'd try to take our robotics technology and try to make something that would work in this herbicide resistance area. And our philosophy was you try to keep the robot as simple and as small as possible so that the logistics problems are, are reduced. And that's kind of what we've been doing. Um, and I think the, we're making really good progress. I think um, we published a number of papers um, that kind of lay out my PhD student did really great work White, um, on White McAllister on basically formulating the problem electrical engineer in the bandit framework and kind of showing that you can spread a team of robots out and they can cover a large area together and in an optimal manner and learn how all of those, the seed bank density spreads and how the weeds grow. And then we, with the help of EarthSense, we are also able to take this technology from the lab from this you know, high-level AI into the real field. So maybe Chinmay and uh, Stephanie, you wanna add something to this? One of the things that I've had the luck to be working on is to go out and talk to the farmers in the real world that actually you know, have to face these issues of labor shortages and how to manage what they're currently trying to manage in order to grow up, be profitable. And one of the things is that sometimes you know, there's a lot of research and technology that people throw at them. But it needs to be something that they can actually uh, act upon because then there is no real value for them. Yeah, I think I think that that's always been the driving philosophy at EarthSense, and you know, uh, by the same token, you know, reaching back into the university and the research objectives at the university, believe strongly in the sort of land grant mission uh, of the university. Uh, identify real problems that uh, you know people around the state and you know honestly around the world are facing and figure out what we can do at the cutting edge of science and technology to create these new technologies that specifically address these problems, solve these problems in the best possible way. At the university, uh, you talked about you know how we got started on the small robots. Uh, we got a huge uh, boost from the Department of Energy's ARPA-E program uh, which funded a research grant, research program at the university, which wasn't looking specifically at you know uh, doing things in the field with farmers, uh, but it was about uh, creating robots and AI that is suitable and specifically designed to work well in these outdoor you know large farm type environments, uh, and that was for cre- you know creating this what they call high throughput field phenotyping technology. Essentially, you know, going out and measuring thousands and thousands and thousands of plants uh, in order to create the next, um, you know, variety of bioenergy crops or food crops or what have you. Uh, And that's how we got an initial start into making these small robots. 
um, and uh, our PAE program, which had uh, intentionally uh, technology to market component, you know, APAE had set it up so that uh, we didn't just do research at the university, but also actively looked out for uh, what problems we could solve uh, for farmers, for, you know, seed uh, uh, breeders uh, in the public sector or private sector. So EarthSense partnered with the university as the technology to market uh, partner, and we went out um, and, you know, just talk to a lot of people, uh, you know, across the agriculture value chain and said, okay, you know, if we had this small, compact, low-cost robot that was collecting this data, would that be useful to you? You know, what kind of sensor should we have? What kind of autonomy capabilities should we have? What kind of AI should we develop? And that's really led to this virtuous cycle of, you know, understanding what people need in the long term bringing it down to like, okay, what is the specific problem we can solve, you know, in the next month or in this season? And then just iterating on that uh, and going from strength to strength. So that's allowed, uh, you know, EarthSense to make better and better robots as well as bring in more grant money. Uh, so in, in some small way, I think we've co uh, contributed uh, to helping bring the AI Institute to the University of Illinois, uh, as well as the DPI grants and things like that. Uh, so that, that's how we look at it. Um, you know, uh, EarthSense is a way for the university to make a real world impact uh, faster and more effectively. And uh, we continue to strongly collaborate with the university. Of course, the university owns a part of EarthSense. Uh, we license uh, technology from uh, the university that we use in the, to make the EarthSense products. Uh, so it's a very uh, synergistic and fruitful relationship. And, um, and and not to mention we employ a number of uh, graduates of the university. Uh, that, that's a great point. Yes. Yeah. That's a great point. Of the, yeah, of the 12 people we have, 10 are UFI graduates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's very rewarding to work with these students who, uh, you know, obviously have been trained by one of the best universities, uh, but also feel very strongly connected to the land here. A lot of our students uh, come work with us because they're like, you know, we we like this place. We, you know, either they're born here or they came here from somewhere. They're like, we really like living in Champaign, Illinois, and we want to build a next big robotics uh, company here. And just to follow up on what Chinmay said, it was a TerraMap project, right? Chinmay, the with uh, Steve Long and and Carl Bernacki. It was a very important project, I think, in in this this shaping the thinking for us. And and really, um, I think great type of research that a lot of um, engineers should get involved in. I'll add to that also the I-Core experience that we went through. Uh, the I-Core is, is an NSF uh, program in which uh, the, the main motto is go get out and talk to people. And the idea is to get faculty to talk to real people, right? Because apparently we don't. So, <laughs> so we went through the, the first I-Core kind of a, a, a mini program with the uh, Enterprise Works. And then after that, we went through the national program um, and it was me and Chinmay, uh, and and we learned, and we just talked to a lot of farmers, and uh, and and the farmers kept telling us that uh, drones are great, but uh, can your drone fly under the canopy? Can can it go inside the inside the field and get me all the data that I can't see from the sky? And that was kind of the uh, the genesis of this this Terracentia, the robot. And I think now Stephanie is uh, is going is leading is the entrepreneurial lead in the. In the next iCore program that we're getting involved in uh, with DPI, right, Sydney? You want to talk about it? 
Yeah, so we're like trying to, you know, get more information about this problem. And now we're like trying to see the focus on the labor shortage surrounding weeding, since that seems to be one of the biggest issues that we're currently facing. We found that people are in a hard spot. Like certain methods are not working, other methods are not really viable either. So there needs to be kind of like that connection of what are they needing? What is that thing that they really, really need to get implemented fast and then be able to get the resources in collaboration with really, really talented people from U of I to get an answer to it and be able to solve this problem. You know, farmers do enjoy having the the next big thing when it positively impacts their bottom line, right? And so what when you're out there speaking to them, what are they saying about this um, new age in relation to ag engineering, AI, and environmental impact? Well, a couple of things to be like, it obviously needs to be economically viable. Farmers need to make a profit. So that's one of the big things is we need to make sure that the technology is at a price that they can afford. Um, the other thing that has come up is that the work, especially in Illinois, work is very seasonal. So are you going to get very qualified workers that are going to come when everything is happening and be able to manage all the equipment? And then what are you going to do with them later on? Are you going to keep them here for winter? That's also not the best choice for a farmer. So this is a way that they can like, get the labor that they need when they need it and then don't worry about maintaining it because it's going to be there again when they need it. When they need it. I'll go back to this uh, thought I had. So Illinois is the largest producer of soybeans in the nation, the second largest producer um, in corn. And many of them do rely on using some autonomous system and equipment, mm-hmm. such as they're in their combines. So with the autonomous robots in a central Illinois ag operation, sort of walk us through that process. Yeah. They need it. How do they, you know, how do you anticipate uh, rolling it out for them? Yeah, this is a very good question. So I'll, I'll, I'll lay out some groundwork here so that we can think in, in levels and metrics here. So one of the things that we did with Katie Driggs Campbell at Electrical and Computer Engineering, me and Chinmay, is we created this, uh, uh, this framework that can help people think about the levels of autonomy for multi-robot operations, right? So there are already levels of autonomy when it comes to a car and a driver relationship, but that doesn't ex- extend to this idea of one person with many robots, right? So we defined like level one was basically hands-off. Level two was eyes-off, which means you don't have to look at the robot anymore. It can just be doing a thing. Level three is one person can handle many robots. Level four is when you no longer have to be on the field. So you're, you're back at home and the robots are doing their thing. And level five is when you don't pretty much don't program the robots anymore. You just tell them, weed my field, and then they go and do it. The autonomy that we have today, which has got, gotten us to this age of agriculture, which is large row crops, is level one autonomy. So on our tractors uh, and our seeders and our combines, you can basically plan a path for the field. They have GPS uh, and other sensors, and they just go, right? And, 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 but you still have to be in the tractor to make sure that it's, it's doing the right thing, right? Um, that if, if anything happens, it's really your responsibility to kind of, uh, you know, press the brake pedal. So increasing the levels of autonomy, right, means that 
the human's involvement is lesser and lesser and lesser. A big challenge here is, you know, how does that actually play out in the real world? There isn't a piece of software that I know that doesn't have a problem or doesn't crash, right? I mean, it, you no matter what you do, right? Even airplanes, which, you know, have very expensive redundancy management system still require the pilot uh, in, the, in the cabin, right? And even drones are remotely operated. So going higher and higher in the levels of autonomy requires all, not just managing the liability of failures, but also on the other side, like what Stephanie was saying, reducing the cost of that autonomy, right? Because at the end of the day, if I make a level three autonomous system that's just too expensive for the farmer to afford, then it's not really going to make an impact. So that's the main challenge that we have to deal with, right? You know, increase the level of autonomy. So figure out the right platforms and the right technologies that get you there. And those, those platforms may not look anything like the big tractors that we have. And then decrease the cost of de deploying that autonomy. That, and then combine that with this vision for a carbon-free or carbon-neutral act, right? And I, I think that's a much bigger problem. And we are may maybe only addressing like a tiny drop of that. But if we switch to robots that are mainly operating off of solar energy, right? So they're getting their batteries charged with solar panels. Like we do at the Autonomous Farm, we have, we're lucky to have access to the solar decathlon house, which pumps energy back into the grid and all of our ro robots charge there. So we're actually, you know, the, the robots are not using, uh, you know, your carbon fuels. As you make an electric robot, right? You, you have to make it smaller. The large tractor making it full of batteries is not really a viable idea. So if you make it smaller, you have to decentralize it. You have to split it apart. If you split it apart, we're talking level three autonomy at the minimum. That's how, that's the only way this can play out is at level three autonomy is the minimum viable product. So one person to many robots doing the job in about the same time that the tractor would do at about the same cost that tractor would do. And this is kind of the vision. And maybe Chinma, you can add some more numbers and meat around that, right? To kind of clarify that. Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, th that's a great question, right? Illinois farmers are already some of the best farmers in the world. We yeah. grow the most corn, we grow, you know, the most soybean. Uh, our yields are basically at the top of any yields around anywhere in the world. Uh, so what's the problem that we're trying to solve, right? Mm -hmm. uh, farmers are already invested in fantastic amounts of technology. If you, like, I wouldn't be able to drive a modern tractor with all the fancy, you know, uh, there's like six different screens that I have to monitor and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's it's pretty amazing the level of technology that's already in the farm. Uh, so uh, the, the philosophy uh, at the university as well as at EarthSense has always been to figure out what is it that uh, large equipment, uh, you know, investments that the farmers already have, what are they really good at doing, right? The large agricultural technology companies have been working for the past 100 years, basically, to create the best tractors that they can. Uh, and in some ways, it's become partly and almost, you know, sounds like an arms race kind of thing, right? How big can we make this so that the uh, less and less labor that we have in the agricultural states uh, can get the job done, right? I mean, ultimately, that's why farmers do the work that they do. Uh, what we are trying to do is not at all uh, to replace the tractors or, you know, uh, do the things that they're already good at doing, you know, planting, harvesting, applying, you know, fertilizers or, you know, uh, pesticides in a large-scale way. Uh, what we're trying to do is making sure that farmers 
have the full set of tools available to them that improves their efficiency even further. Because, you know, even honestly, even though the uh, sort of productivity is high, uh, economic, uh, on economic metrics, farmers are, you know, generally not doing so well. There's a year here and there where farmers' incomes, you know, are good, but mostly, you know, farmers have to uh, really struggle uh, to keep, uh, keep the ship going. Um, and what we think is uh, needed to improve the uh, sort of economic profitability as well as, you know, uh, long-term viability of the agricultural enterprise uh, is to create new forms of agricultural equipment that improves the overall efficiency. So, you know, going underneath the canopy, like that's that's one of the first hints that we got. I was like, okay, there is some new technology required. Uh, and, you know, it all uh, comes down to farmers, you know, uh, me- meeting farmers, speaking with them, sitting down with them and understanding their workflow. So, you know, planting, great. You know, cultivation, they're doing great. Uh, harvesting, they're doing great. Uh, the thing where, you know, kind of uh, breaks down a little bit is there aren't enough people uh, to go through the fields and through the season, you know, when a farmer is managing 2,000, 3,000, 10,000 acres, uh, they just don't have enough people to go through those fields and say, okay, you know, can I improve the yield on this field a little bit? Like, are, is this field doing good? You know, do I need to apply more nitrogen? Where do I need to apply, you know, fungicide or pesticide? Um, and then increasingly, you know, we had a good solid uh, 30-year run of being able to use uh, glyphosate, uh, being able to use Roundup, uh, but that's becoming a problem as well, right? Uh, we used uh, Roundup and other herbicide to the extent where, you know, uh, nature has started fighting back and uh, weeds are starting to become more and more resistant and they're spreading more rapidly. Uh, and that's becoming, you know, causing some farmers that we've spoken with, they're like, yeah, we've had to hire a chopping crew at $65 per acre. I was like, okay, how does that make sense? Well, it doesn't make sense to earn money for that year, but if you want to keep that field viable for the future, uh, you have to bite the bullet. So those are the kinds of problems that we think, you know, are things that large equipment, you know, satellite data uh, is not going to be able to solve. We can't, you know, afford to pay people enough to lure more uh, you know, uh, people to come work in agriculture. Uh, so we have to create these new forms of technology uh, that work at the massive scale of Midwestern agriculture and still maintain very, very low costs uh, and provide farmers with the data that's going to allow them to make more yields and make more profits. Uh, that's going to allow to uh, allow them to keep their fields viable for the long term, even if the herbicide-resistant seeds have herbicide-resistant weeds uh, have taken hold. Uh, So those are the types of problems that we focus on. There's so much to consider. The weight of the machine, the size of the battery, the lasers, the wheel design, the strength to pull, you know, if you're using the, the plow behind it. You spoke about the large scale challenges of this. What is the biggest challenge or challenges in the engineering of these smaller um, robotics? Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. So I think a lot of the things we learn in the world of drones is really applicable here. And that's, uh, you know, in my background, uh, before we started doing all this ag stuff is basically I spent right after my undergrad, 
was working at the German Aerospace Center on their first drone project and at Georgia Tech uh, and then MIT and Oklahoma State. They was all basically working on drones. And the one big lesson that we learned in drones that we tried to apply here was that uh, in the beginning of the drone era, which is the late 90s and uh, 2000s, everybody was trying to miniaturize the bigger aircraft. So they would take these model helicopters, model airplanes, and they would try to automate them. A, because they were available, right? I mean, you could, there was already an industry for RC flying. And B, because uh, people believe that this is how airplanes are. This is what they look like, right? And then some very adventurous and, uh, and you know, forward-looking engineers started pushing the ideas of the quadrotor. Now, the concept existed, right? Like the first helicopter ever built was looked like a quadrotor, but it was never thought to be practical at the large scale. You need to change the speed of the, the rotors in order to control the vehicle. If you make the rotors very big, there's a lot of moment of inertia. So then you have to change the blade pitch and if you have to change the blade pitch on four rotors, you might as well just have one, which is why we have the helicopter. But when you change the scale and you make it so tiny that the blades are nothing compared to the power the motors have, this doesn't become an issue anymore. And so now the dominant drone form factor looks nothing like the dominant airplane form factor, right? Or the dominant helicopter form factor. It, it's, it's safer because of the covering. It's four rotors. It's mechanically extremely simple. Right? There's, no, there's no blades. And, and of course, there's all the sensors that are packed in there. And the computers that are getting more and more powerful, and we're getting better at writing the software and the AI. And that has resulted in the drone technology. Now, drones are lucky because they don't have to deal with a lot of perception challenges. So they fly in the air, and they, you say, go from here to here. They point there, and they go. Right? It, there's nothing, I mean, unless you fly close to the ground. Robots, on the other hand, they have to deal with a lot of obstacles. They're constrained to be on the ground. They can get more done because of that, but they have to deal with all of that. So one lesson we learned when we designed our robots is we, we kind of started from the bottom up. We said, what's the lightest robot we can make? That's the easiest to control and to make autonomous. And we built it up from there. And you know we'll make it as big as it needs to be, but we won't make it big just because there are big tractors. Right? Uh, we believe that the small can do a lot of work. So our engineers, uh, first at the lab and now at EarthSense, have really kind of figured out ways to push a lot of power in those small things. And these are like, you can drop them, they're very rugged. So that was one key engineering challenge, the form factor. And then the second bigger, and I, I guess that's kind of like the research is done. It's more into the development side. It's now, it's the job of the industry, not the big industry, the, the, the nimble, young, entrepreneurial industry like EarthSense to take it from there and really make it happen uh, in, in relation to customers, do what Stephanie is doing, listening to customers and, and building the product around that. But what we have to do now at, uh, in, in the university is think about the AI, right? So if one person is controlling many robots or no person, the person is no longer on the field, right? The robots have to be smart enough to understand how they're feeling, where they're feeling, what can they do to recover? Now, because we build small robots, failure is not, you know, the, the, the consequence of failures are very less, right? So if the robot makes a mistake, it maybe hits a corn, right? But it can recover. Unlike if your big tractor makes a mistake, it could be really costly. So given that, so now that we have created this machine that is, you know, easier to control, what AI do we need for these machines to be, have distance between interventions or time between interventions of days 
and months. How can these machines learn from each other so that they can be deployed across multiple fields, multiple crops? And how can they get their job done the best, right? How can they plan, not just, you know, just go up and down, but really plan and figure out the hotspots and take care of those. So those are the big engineering challenges that are still in, in front of us using computer vision, for example, uh, to reduce the cost of sensing. So instead of using the LIDARs, what if we can use a, you know, a $5, $10 camera? That's where we're going. My um, final question is, there's going to be a lot of learning from the work that you are doing right now in AI and robotics. Where do you see that moving in the next five or 10 years? So, so that was one of the goals at AI Farms, right? Is to find the foundational research goals. And we found like seven, you know, things like AI for control, AI at the edge, uh, AI with multiple different data sources. So the goal of AI Farms is to advance these foundations of AI. So that's one benefit that's going to come out of this is that we're really going to take these challenging act problems. They have, you know, different types of data, very different, huge scales of data. As we advance the foundations of that AI, that's going to have very broad impact. Then as we make more and more intelligent and robust robots that operate in the outdoor environments, that's going to have impact on other domains, uh, such as uh, disaster recovery, mining, construction monitoring, defense, patrolling, all kinds of domains that require outdoor robots, right? Right now, our robots are kind of confined to the factory floor. This is the technology that liberates them. We're getting, you know, we, you know of course we have the fixed arm robots. Uh, there's a lot of automation now in Amazon warehouses where again, it's inside a, inside a warehouse, but when we figure out this technology, we can take those robots out into the world. So those are the two major things. And then, of course, how we change agriculture uh, will really impact how, you know, it'll, it'll lay a, a vision for how AI can be used to change other industries that are also kind of old industries that are very, you know, successful and foundational to our existence, but, uh, but could, could take a helping hand. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on Illinois Innovators. This has been a super riveting discussion for me personally and um, for the Granger College of Engineering also. So thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much, Michelle. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Illinois Innovators. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher, or become involved in our community by using the hashtag Illinois Innovators.